<laughs> Welcome to the Green Goblin's takedown of Spider-Man No Way Home. Greetings, goblins and goblinettes. I'm definitely not going to do the voice for the rest of that review, especially because uh, now I got a cold, but... I am here to talk to you about Spider-Man No Way Home, and being one day after Christmas, I figured I can't possibly ruin anybody's Christmas with this uh, honest review. Um, You know, these are just my thoughts, and well, a lot of Sarah's, but if you enjoyed the movie, more power to you. Uh, There were definitely moments that I appreciated, but overall, the uh, movie did not get the little heart that means you liked it on Letterboxd, and... uh, even though it's begrudgingly my favorite of the MCU Spider-Man movies, uh, I would say that Spider-Man 3, and yes, even The Amazing Spider-Man 2, are miles and miles ahead of this one. Uh, Not a Miles Morales pun. So, what issues did I have with this movie? Um, Well, there's a lot, and I'm going to try to go through this quickly so it's not just a harp fest. Uh, I decided to break it down into the uh, oh-so-wonderful objective set, and then I'll throw in some subjective stuff at the end. Uh, Mostly, it's just going to be bitching about budget and COVID, which I'm astounded how many people aren't aware of the fast ones that they tried to pull. I know a little bit of it came up in the discussion the other night, uh, which we did listen to in full. Great show, by the way, guys. Uh, But objectively... You know, my biggest issue far and away since Endgame is um, nobody in the MCU writing end gives a shit about the snap, I refuse to call it the blip, uh, and the implications that it had for the universe and how it would have drastically, drastically changed the universe. Everything from, you know, some sort of either weird worshippers, you know, talking about the rapture to, uh, you know, there'd be a cult of like Thanos worshippers hoping he comes back. I mean, that's, you know, we saw that with Superman for Christ's sake. Um, but as far as in the, you know, MCU, Tom Holland, Peter Parker world, um, all of his classmates, his aunt, happy, everybody, you know, conveniently gets snapped so they don't age a day and, nothing happens, and we've said previously, you know, you wouldn't be just going on vacation laughing with your friends when something like that happens, and, um, you know, so in this one, the obvious inciting incident is that his identity's been revealed. This is something I started to bring up on the other podcast. I'll go into it more now. That is the whole basis of Civil War. There never should have been a time in an MCU with Thunderbolt Ross going around, like, you know, register or be arrested, uh, giving Spider-Man a free pass because Iron Man vouched for him. So either S.H.I.E.L.D. would have had his info on file, which obviously they did, um, but it would have had to have been disclosed publicly, or, um, you know, everybody would have known who he was, because in the MCU, there really aren't secret identities, which is, you know, Not to go off on a tangent, but why Black Widow was just a very stupid movie, especially set during the time of the Civil War. Um, So the whole thing with, you know, finding out his identity and Jameson being a Alex Jones surrogate, which subjectively was so much worse in this movie in one note, as the guy said. um, Yeah, none of that landed for me. 
as far as going to Doctor Strange to do the spell, you know, a lot of people are vaguely aware of a terrible, terrible comic called uh, One More Day. This is during Civil War, Aunt May gets shot. Aunt May is somehow still alive. Um, And rather than just say, you know what, she's old as fuck. She's died three times since like the 80s, even though it's been retconned. Let's just let her go. Spider-Man sets off on a quest to undo it, finally ends up in the clutches of Mephisto, who talks him into giving up his marriage. Now, the reason they did this in, you know, the real world was because Joe Quesada hated the idea that he was married and he wasn't, like, this free-swinging bachelor anymore. Um, Even though there were decades of fans who, you know, were very happy about the Peter and MJ marriage situation and still wanted to see their daughter brought back. Uh, Later... They revisit this under the tutelage of uh, Joe Quesada himself for something called One Moment in Time. And basically we find out that Peter and MJ were a couple. She didn't know that he was Spider-Man, but they never got married, and here's why. And again, it's sort of due in part to Mephisto, who lets out this no-name character named Eddie. Uh, and we flash back to Spider-Man's you know, illustrious wedding that never was. And we find out that Eddie hit him with a brick. So he passed out and missed the wedding. And MJ said, this is just, you know, a symbol of all the things that will go wrong with you being Spider-Man. I can never marry you unless you give it up. And then with, you know, no real constraints, he just says no. They say no, they break up. So he goes to Doctor Strange because in the present time, MJ is the one who's been shot. And uh, he needed a mystical healing spell because, you know, fuck modern medicine. And he tells Doctor Strange to erase the world's identity of Peter Parker being Spider-Man. It's very important you say it that way. Uh, He has to go into a protective shell himself because even he would forget his identity. Hint, hint, that's important. Uh, At the very last minute, he grabs MJ and pulls her in and she's able to remember and then the comic ends with her, you know, him telling her all this and her saying, why couldn't you just let me forget And then another uh, probably 10, 15 years of miserable Spider-Man and MJ under the tutelage of Dan Slott, which I've mostly in large part ignored. Uh, Anyway, so to the movie, you know, Peter goes to see Doctor Strange because it's Halloween and he's like, I remember a wizard friend. And that's about as, uh, you know, deep as the MCU goes. Uh, This Doctor Strange doesn't consult anyone, the one in the comics who's known Peter for decades consults what was called the Illuminati, which was Tony Stark, Reed Richards, a bunch of other people, and um, basically, Strange goes to do this spell. Now, a lot of this is on Strange because he doesn't really say or do anything to prep Peter. Uh, I think he says, like, no talking, but he also doesn't do the spell that Peter had asked for because Peter wanted to undo the damage caused by uh, him being outed by Mysterio, basically. So, basically, to, to have the world's memory go back in time a day before the, uh, you know, fake Alex Jones broadcast. And Doctor Strange casts a slightly different spell, and this all happens because Peter's friends didn't get into MIT. Uh, and then it's even Peter who says, you know, or, or Strange says, well, you should have just tried talking to the administrator. Yeah, that would have been the first thing he should have tried, but, you know. Um, so the spell goes haywire, and I have no idea what the actual cast spell does, because a lot of people thought it was, oh, well, it brings in anyone who ever knew he was Spider-Man, 
which obviously then opens up multiverse people as well. The problem is, Electro never knew he was Spider-Man. That happens in this movie. Um, People who did know didn't come back for, you know, obvious real-world reasons, and uh, I guess they just didn't want to bring back Topher Grace. Kind of weird they didn't bring back Kirsten Dunst, but I'll get to that. And, um, you know, then, of course, you could have opened up other things because we're bringing back dead people. So you could bring back, you know, friends, family... Dennis Leary, um, you know, Emma Stone, but, and then of course there's all the other, uh, multiverse people who we hadn't seen who would have come in. Now, obviously we've seen, you know, Tom Hardy's Venom on our side, which he never learned that yeah, it was Peter Parker. Supposedly his symbiote had knowledge of it, but then you're opening up a multiverse of symbiotes kind of like, uh, you know, Venomized or I guess Edge of Venomverse, but anyway, um, so, right off the bat, you start getting these people who supposedly were abducted from the moment in their universe that he found out. They found out that that was Peter Parker, but it, with Electro, it kind of came at the moment of his death. Uh, with Green Goblin, we're not sure. With Doc Ock, it came the second he found out. Um, with the Lizard, it sounded like it was the second that he found out because he doesn't know what his eventual fate is, and he even, he says to Electro, he's like, you know, did I die? Um, there was no indication that Dr. Connors would have known who the fuck Max Dillon was in that universe, but I can overlook that. Um, there is, however, a, a glaring thing where Electro is basically naked, and when you look at all the victim, the villains, they're all pretty much naked, uh, or just wearing the clothes they were wearing, Goblin comes through with an entire arsenal, a glider, and seemingly a backup arsenal. So, go figure on that one. Um, And then, let's see. So, basically, the implication of the spell doesn't make sense, because then why would the other Spider-Men have come through, except for that's the whole reason we wanted to see the movie. Um... Unfortunately, that doesn't play to the quirky thing that John brought up, which would have been a nice touch where Peter interrupted five times, five people came through, um, but then you do have the other Spider-Men and Venom and who the hell else knows anyone else that might have shown up. Um, At the end of the movie, the spell cast to send them all back would erase any knowledge of Peter Parker. Well, like I said in the comics, it would have erased Peter's memory as well, and we can say, okay, Tom Holland safeguarded against that, but what about the other Peters, and more importantly, what happens when they go back to their universes? Does everyone that they know forget about them? Uh, And then as far as the villains they send back, you know, are they sent back in time to the moment of their death, now depowered and or cured, or are they sent back to the modern day, because now you have a Norman Osborn that's going to be running around in a world where Harry's dead. And that's probably going to piss him off. Um, you're going to have a Doc Ock who basically tried to destroy the city. Um, you're going to have a Tobey Maguire who got stabbed by a dead guy. Who no one's going to remember who he is and he might not remember himself. Um, and then uh, basically you're, you're going to have... Uh, knowledge of things like the Avengers and, um, you know, so this came up a lot on podcasts for the MCU 
what is the standing of Spider-Man? Because, you know, in the comics, the way they did it again, people just forgot that Spider-Man was Peter Parker. They didn't forget Peter Parker, period. Um, everybody still had memories of Peter Parker. That's a much different spell with much different consequences. So, you know, if everybody just forgot one was the other, that you can write around. But the fact that Peter's friends forget basically, you know, portions of their entire lives with Peter, whether he was Spider-Man or not, uh, you're basically working your way into a reverse Buffy where they added in the character of Dawn and, um, you know, wrote in a whole history for her with everybody. Um this undoes major, major events in the MCU, everything from portions of Infinity War, uh, you know, the last two movies, basically. Uh, but it also doesn't make sense because, you know, in the MCU, you have organizations like S.H.I.E.L.D. that would just be following him 24-7. I mean, you think back to the first Avengers movie, they knew who the Hulk was and they knew where he was 24-7. They didn't go after him until they needed to assemble the team so are they just not going to have any research on Spider-Man? You know, obviously we saw this version of Flash Thompson wrote a book. I guess that goes away. Um, so like the blip, they have set up some really drastic consequences that are largely probably never going to be addressed. Uh, so that bothers me. Um, as far as the subjective, number one, like I said, this is definitely a COVID movie, but you know, I think more than anything, a lazy movie. Um, they used recycled footage of Lizard and Sandman, pretending that it was real. Uh, there's no indication those people were ever on set. Nothing was more than voiceover. Um, a lot of the shots played like a, a terrible movie, Samurai Cop, where you could tell someone else is just, you know, on a soundstage or a green screen by themselves and not interacting with anyone. Unfortunately, a lot of that is for Andrew and Toby, uh, a lot of the villains, and, you know, the the one scene where they're actually really together um, is immortalized in Ned's MCU grandmother house, so that was fun. Um, if you listen to what Andrew Garfield's character said, one day he just stopped pulling his punches well, Spider-Man, as a lot of people forget, has ridiculous super strength, especially his. I looked it up. It's, uh, you know, normal Spider-Man is able to lift 10 tons. He's able to lift 18 for some reason. Um, so if he's hitting normal civilians at full force, he's just fucking killing people left and right. Uh, Toby made mention that him and MJ never really work things out. They're not together. It's quote unquote complicated. Um, the Toby getting stabbed thing was bizarre. No Harry's and no Eddie Brock was kind of weird. Um, and uh, Andrew Garfield had an Uncle Ben. And he seemed to have a much more tragic loss than Toby's. But in that scene where it would have been really important for everyone to talk about, oh, I had an Uncle Ben too. Uh, he only mentions Gwen. Toby mentions his Uncle Ben. And then, you know, Tom Holland, again, doesn't give a shit about his Uncle Ben and only cares about Aunt May. Uh, it was also weird that they refer to her as May and not, like, Aunt May and not a, oh, I have an Aunt May, too. She's the whole basis of my movie for Toby as opposed to Andrew. 
uh, none of that came up. And it just, you know, for me, that's how the MCU is. It feels like it's just written by autistic robot people who don't relate to human emotions. Um, I didn't think that the tone or the humor worked for any of what I would call the real characters. Uh, of course, that's the non-MCU people. Uh, this movie just, you know, obviously made me double down on just how much I hate the modern MCU, the formula, the writing, the jokes, just all of it. Um, you know, we did, they mentioned our comments a little bit on the podcast. Uh, that was me more than Sarah with the, the cap shield on the Statue of Liberty. She kind of just, you know, sighed in disgust, but basically that scene is the perfect visual representation of how the MCU just destroys everything and can't get out of its own way. They added a ridiculous Captain America shield to the Statue of Liberty. The real characters come in and, and fuck around with it, and it dislodges, destroys the whole scaffolding, and basically sets up the inciting incident where fake MJ is falling to her death, Andrew Garfield has to intervene, that's real movies saving the MCU, um, and then Tom Holland, you know, gets in the way, and Tobey Maguire gets stabbed. That's the real movie suffer for the craft that is the MCU. Uh, it's just, you know, bottom level sludge at this point, and I just wanted to go away. <laughs> um, but most importantly, I wanted to tell everybody what I forgot on all the other podcasts we did, and that is if you ever want to read a great Spider-Man comic, you need to look up the original Amazing Spider-Man number 87. It's the greatest thing ever written. Peter Parker is still trying to juggle his relationship with Gwen Stacy. Um, this is, like, right right before Captain Stacy ends up getting killed. Um, and Peter is losing his powers, kind of like Spider-Man 2. And he's freaking out, doesn't know what the hell's going on. It's Gwen's surprise birthday party. And Peter is basically supposed to be the guest of honor and be doing the heavy lifting as her boyfriend. Um, he completely no-shows starts losing his powers, flips out, robs a jewelry store as Spider-Man to try to get her a present, then he finally crashes the party late while everybody's looking for him and worried about him, which was a, a very recurring trend at this time. Like, he was always, you know, seen as sickly and, you know, in need of being on a couch or a hospital bed. Uh, he shows up holding the Spider-Man mask in a daze, tells everybody he's Spider-Man, ruins her party, and then goes home. It turns out he had the flu. That was all that was wrong with him. So he pays off the Prowler, or I guess he owed him a favor, uh, to pretend to be Spider-Man, to show up to threaten Peter Parker at the Stacy's apartment and clear his name. And it's just one of the greatest things ever. Um, so that is my take on Spider-Man No Way Home. It didn't have a plot. It didn't make sense. Um, you know, the idea of trying to cure the villains would have had a lot more weight to it if... Tom Holland had interaction and foreknowledge of them. He didn't really know who anyone was besides, like, a gimmicky scientist that showed up in another, like, you know, costume or mutation. Um, it's just more MCU. You know, they, they try to hit these emotional beats. Sometimes they work because of the actors, never because of the writing. And uh, if all you want was a movie to see the three Spider-Man swinging together... That was a lot of fun. I do love the ending tag of him finally in a real Spider-Man suit. And it's snowing. It's Christmas in New York. It's always great. But it's all just flat CGI. Uh, I doubt that, you know, any of them were ever really in costume. So, there you go.